Hello and welcome back to the Men You Are Not Alone podcast. This will be a solo episode. I would say I'm going to make it quick, but I say that a lot and it never pans out that way. But this one, I don't have much material. This is off the cuff. It's my own little version of off the rails. It's a subject that I'm digging into. I've been, it's been plaguing me for about two years now. And it's something that I wanted to to touch on, but this is just kind of a way. I love free thinking people. So I don't always necessarily have an opinion on something when I throw it out into the mix of people. Because I kind of like to see what creativity comes up with, what people with critical thinking come up with. And so I'm just throwing this out. This is purely throwing stuff at the wall. But it is something for the past couple of years I've been wondering about is what if, and this is, if you're not a Bible nerd, this may not mean much to you. Uh, In fact, it may not at all. I've wondered for quite a while, like just as a random question. So depending on I'm not going to explain how the Bible lays out the end of days, uh, which would be found throughout parts of the Old Testament, the New Testament, stuff like that, which are just two different halves of the Bible uh, for those of you who aren't who aren't versed in it. But for those of you who are like, this is just a random question, because sometimes we ask the wrong question. So I like finding different ways to ask questions. And so what if I've, I've wondered, what if the millennial reign of Jesus who had returned to the earth had taken place. Like it's a literal thousand year reign. But then after that, there's a time when Satan is loosed upon the earth. What if we were in that stretch where Satan had been loose, the millennial reign was over. If we were in that stretch, how would we know it? And I think it's just a curiosity for me because I don't have an answer right now. And I haven't ferreted it out completely because my workload is just monstrous right now. But it is on my short list of things to ferret out. I'm going to read just a couple of quick passages here just for context. So if you look at Revelation 12, so chapter, I mean, chapter 12, 7 to 10 is the verses. So now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. That would be Satan and his angels. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them, our brothers, day and night before our God. So that's one. That's Revelation 12. And this is by no means a, a thorough examination of the subject. This is really just throwing something out there because I do want to ferret it out over time without making this a theological podcast. But again, I need variety too. I can't just always do... I've stacked up... I've, I've got interviews that are already recorded for May. This is still March. I just need a little break. So I figured I would bring up this subject. So if I skip to chapter 20 of Revelation and I look at the first three verses, and I'm going to read them right now. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And then I can jump down to verse seven. And I'm not trying to be selective here. I'm just trying to keep this really short because I haven't ferreted it out yet. 
And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, for their number is like the sand of the sea. So what I'm wondering is, and it's because I am a Bible nerd, and I don't know jack about the Bible. I've studied it for decades, but the more I read it, the the less, the more ignorant I seem to myself, because I know I'm among the deceived. Not because I read the Bible and not because I trust Jesus, just because I know that the human mind and the human being is very easy to deceive. And I'm sure I get played a thousand ways to Sunday, and, and I don't see but maybe one or two of those ways. So this part here, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, the thousand years of Jesus's reign. And Satan will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. And that's what I've wondered over the years, because I tend to ask goofy questions and I tend to look at things I have since I was a child. I tend to look at things from a different perspective. And none of that's threatening to me. I really do enjoy just free thinking and and the truth will float to the top. You know, there's an old phrase that truth is the daughter of time, and it is. And I'm not even saying I have the context here to necessarily understand this, but in light of the evidence I see around the, the world, this has just increasingly pounded on me. So when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. So people are still here. I mean, the world is still functioning, and they will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. And that precedes a thousand years of peace and and uh, I don't want to say peace and harmony. I grew up around the hippie era. Uh, but but anyway, but a, a time of peace, a thousand year period of peace where there isn't war, there isn't, I don't want to say prosperity, but there's a time of peace where maybe people have each other's interests at heart. And even it doesn't matter if they follow Jesus or not. They tend to have people's, their neighbor's interests, best interests at heart. So if we were in this period from Revelation 20, the thousand years has ended, and now Satan is loosed upon the earth for a time, what would be the logical journey to assess whether we are in that period? Because in all my years of seminary, theological study, stuff like that, nobody asked that question. And I've never voiced it to anybody, so just why not put it out on a podcast episode and just shoot myself in the foot? And and I may later just retract all of this, and I may dig into it and say, you know, I need to back up. That was just me babbling. But based on what I'm looking at, and, and until a friend of mine mentioned to me, he said, dude, you ought to look into the mud flood thing. And so I started, I was like, whatever. You know, like I get asked all kinds of random things because I look at things in a goofy way. You know, people suggest all kinds of things for me to look at, and they want to hear my take on it just to see, like, how does a goofy dude, what does he see in this? And the mud flood thing is not something that's a mystery to me. I've seen it. I mean, I'm in building. I'm in construction. I do notice that there's buildings where the the grade is 12, 13, 20 feet above the footing of the building. You know, and you've got windows that are below grade. You've got doors that are below grade, but they've been bricked over. And then they're uh, transformed into like an archway or an arched soldier out of brick or something like that. It makes no sense. Like something obviously happened. And it does stand out as I just move around in the country as I travel. I look at these structures and I think, 
the architect, the architecture of this building is way too advanced to have been built in 1840. There weren't the resources available to build this in 1840. Not here. And as a child, I used to notice that out west. And I would ask the questions. I'd look at old pictures. I can remember standing in a museum, um, one of our local museums, or not one of them. We had one local museum. And I would stand there and they had old pictures or pictures of cities, old pictures of cities like San Francisco, like cities that were framed and, and they would have pictures of those cities. And I can remember as a child asking people like, like the museum person, like, why are there no people in the pictures? And they, people just looked at me like I'm nuts, but I've, they've looked at me that way my entire life. So I kind of got used to it, but I'm like, it's a legitimate question. Like this is a, this is a bird's eye view of an entire town in whatever year it is, 1850 or 1840 or whatever. It's a large town, but where is the life in the town? Like there should be a person in the photo. There should be a horse or some sign of life, but it's not. They were ghost towns. And because I grew up around an area of the country where there's a lot of ghost towns, that's just more the culture I grew up in. So like ghost towns are fascinating. But when I looked at those old photos mounted on the wall of the of the museum, I looked at these kind of metropolis areas like, why are there no people there? Like, how do you get everybody to leave the streets and you get all the animals off the street in broad daylight? And how do you have, like, how, how do you get that photo op in 1840 or whatever? I'm just making up a year, but like in the 1800s, like, you can't pull that off. There's going to be one disobedient guy who just wants to be in the photograph who's going to get out in the street and let himself be photographed. I probably would have been like that dork that did it. So the photo bomber, I'm sure they existed back then too. So as I as I look at the ancient architecture, as I started digging into this thing that's that people call a mud flood, I just looked at it and I'm like, mud flood? But that's kind of a description of of the symptom that you see, but... But there's something bigger to it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm in building. Like, I'm in construction. This doesn't make any sense. You know, you don't, you don't bury a building. Uh, you don't bury the first floor of a building and then make the second floor the entrance. There's no way to keep the water out. There's none of this makes sense. And I've seen this all over as I travel over the years, and it's never made sense to me. But now that it's people actually talk about it and whether they're viewed as crazy or not, at least it's up on the table for discussion. So now I don't feel quite so odd for bringing it up. But what if, let's go, uh, let me just go back here, because this is kind of a, now war arose in heaven, Michael's and, Michael and his angels, this is Revelation 12 again, back to the same verses, uh, 7 through 10. Angels fighting against the dragon, and, in the, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon, that would be Satan, was thrown down. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So as I poked around, like like to me, like liquefaction, I grew up where there's minor earthquakes. I saw a lot of landslides and things like that, especially in remote areas in the mountains. I would see entire hillsides, not hillsides, mountainsides slide down like in block a road or they would just, but they liquefy, and it's called liquefaction. I was That's not a subject that was foreign to me. So as I looked around at these mud flood buildings, that to me looked the same. It's like a landslide, and you have a whole mountain side that has water that's 
that saturated the soil uh, because I'm from back west in the United States. It's all granite in the bedrock. And there's just, it's everywhere. So whatever soil you have, uh, I mean, I'm in Tennessee here. So like I know that whatever topsoil you have or soil you have, it sits on on limestone. Out west in the Rockies, it's soil, but it sits on granite for the most part. Not everywhere, sometimes sandstone. But granite is very, very prevalent throughout the Rockies because that's mostly what they're comprised of. So as the soil becomes saturated with water, it's it's really weird. If you've never fooled with uh, concrete, I've always just known it as jitterbugging. And it's if you take a stick and you tap wet concrete, it becomes liquid. Um, you can actually see the water will disperse from the concrete below and it will rise to the top. And you can just do it. You could do it with a spoon. You could do it with a stick. And if you just rapidly tap the surface of the concrete, it becomes liquid. Well, it's kind of like liquefaction. So all it takes is just a little bit of vibration and that soil that it, or material that is saturated with water suddenly becomes kind of like a thick liquid, sort of like Mark Twain described the Mississippi River, that it's too thick to drink, too thin to plow. That sort of, well, not really that sort of concept that just randomly popped into my head. I'm a fan of Mark Twain. So, but anyway, so I would watch hillsides or mountainsides slide away and they would be, they would look totally normal until the minute that they gave way. And then they just sort of flowed down the mountain. And it was weird because the trees would stay upright. The whole mountainside would just slide. It didn't spill down the, it just became like it was on ball bearings and it would just, just roll down the mountainside. And as I looked at the uh, the buildings that people call mud flood buildings, like to me, that makes sense. Like, and it has made sense to me when I look at them, I look, this looks like a soil that was, that, that was liquefied. It, 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 it experienced liquefaction and the building settled. And because the old architecture was made with stone, it was made with exceedingly heavy things. And it doesn't really matter where you go in the world. Those old buildings, they survived, but they're built with monstrous stone blocks or they're thick, they're beefy. They're nothing like what we build today. Today, we just build these little cheap stick houses, which is what I specialize in. And so you take a really heavy, solid, well-tied-together building and you you have liquefaction in the soil around it, that building is going to sink just like it would on one of the hillsides that I watched slide off the side of the Rockies. What I'm wondering is, is it possible when Satan was thrown down, like here in Revelation 12, if Satan is kicked out of heaven, so he's sitting before the throne of God, or he's in heaven, and he's constantly accusing Christians before God because Satan ultimately answers to Yahweh or whatever you want to call the the father, the creator. He's submissive to the creator, but he's just sitting there. He's a whining complainer. So I know many people like him. Our culture has plenty of them, but he's Yahweh's finally had enough and he just throws them down. So Satan a spiritual being, enters the physical realm. So when the fallen angels of Genesis 6 entered the physical realm, there were manifold consequences. But when Satan was thrown down, is it possible when when he and his angels were thrown down, or you know, if they have been, were they thrown down in that, is there something 
in the nature of the, not necessarily the violence, the scale of something like that, a massive spiritual force from the, the spiritual realm is thrown into the physical realm. And, and maybe it still maintains its spiritual nature. Is it possible that there could be something that results in stuff that, that accounts for melted buildings around, melted ancient buildings around the world or liquefacted soil? I don't even know if liquefacted is a, world, a word, but I just made, I mean, anyway, I'm grabbing it. Could that account for what people call the mud flood? Because I don't think they know what else to call it. But a catastrophic event that basically, it's, it's like a nuclear device on steroids, like mega steroids, to where something that caused a, a, a ripple of energy around or across the world, whether you believe it's round or flat or whatever it is. I know there's arguments on both camps and, and I, I don't even want to get into that. So it doesn't matter to me what shape it is. Is it possible that that could have caused so much energy because it takes so little energy, like a stick on top of concrete, to raise the water out of, to turn that mix that looks set in the concrete, if you tap it with a stick, it can look like it's mostly set. You start tapping it or jitterbugging it. Same thing as if you drop a vibrating rod down in it. It liquefies again and that walks all the air bubbles out. It, it distributes the, the liquid mix throughout the entire substrate so that you have an even footing or foundation. Could that have happened upon the earth? And could that have happened? And then now we're living in the time after that. Because I, as I look at the evidence of what the mud flood people out there are showing a lot of photos and videos about, like, I don't tend to look at many videos and stuff, but I have to say that when some of my friends suggested I may want to look into that subject, I did. And I'm, I find it quite fascinating because there's it's tangible evidence, not only that I see today in video platforms, but it's something I observed in my past before the advent of video stuff. Like, this is not new. It's just finally become a topic of discussion. So I don't have an answer for it, but I'm just putting it out there because maybe it's something that spurs critical thinking at some level in somebody out there listening. Plus, it's a, a completely off the rails subject and it's random and it's it's given me a break and I've got more interviews to do tonight. So I just wanted to do something that was uh, off the cuff. And that's exactly what this is. So again, I don't have an answer and I made. As I dig into this, I may later say, look, man, I, I had no idea what I was talking about. And I don't find that threatening at all. So, so what? I don't know everything. I don't, I'm not an expert at anything. I don't mind being wrong. I don't mind asking the bizarre questions because we do so often ask the wrong questions. Just spitting that out just as a random entry in the Men You Are Not Alone podcast that honestly probably has little to do with anything along the theme of this podcast. But it's something that's a diversion for just a short bit. So I will leave it at that. And with that, I will catch you on the next one. All right. This is a quick addendum to the end. I just saved the file and I was going to be done. And I may just randomly insert this back somewhere in the in the audio file if I can figure out how to do that because I'm not a tech guy. 
as a frame of context for me, like I am not threatened by questions. I've been that way since I was a kid. I'm not threatened by an inquisitive mind. I think it's why I love children so much is because they're not afraid to ask questions and they tend to look at things in a very simple way. And they're not threatened by somebody who asks some random question. Like what if, you know, what if purple monkeys lived in my living room? No kid's going to find that offensive. They're just going to entertain it and they're probably going to go along with it. Not, not agree with you necessarily, but they're going to animate the story. I look at the quest for understanding the world around us in the same way. And I've been to seminary. I spent six years finishing up seminary. I've been in a very liberal one, a very conservative one. I've spent my life around some some very good theological minds. And I've seen the piss and vinegar and the vitriol and the venom that is circulated around such dogmatism that people believe— Um, even people in their early 20s believe they've got all the answers to stuff, all the theological answers that we need. It is a, it's a arrogance that makes me want to vomit. I do not partake in that. And I don't, I don't shun people who ask questions. I don't shun people who explore other things because I did the same thing. I asked a million questions. I wandered all over the map and the freedom to do that is how I found Jesus. And I'm not going to, I don't have a brilliant, I don't have a brilliant, brilliant summary of that. But I know that if this was a place, and I don't even know if people can leave comments on stuff. I honestly, I don't know how many viewers I have. I don't, or not viewers. I don't know how many listeners I have. And I couldn't care less. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because God put a burr in my fanny to do it. I'm supposed to do it. I'm being obedient in that. So I'm not looking to engage in a big, deep theological discussion with you if you're sitting there and your face is turned red because now your dogmatism says that you need to argue about this because you have the answer. Just trust me, I don't care. And I sincerely mean that. I don't care. I view view everybody's life as a journey. And they are entitled to make that journey. And the journey from that person to this person doesn't look the same. My journey looks different than other people's journey. And I don't find that threatening in any way. I don't find that my journey should be the standard by which other journeys are judged. Mine mine looks a lot like a train wreck, but it's organized. With age, I can see that. And I it always looked like a train wreck rolling into it. But when I look back, you know, from years of age, I can see that there was a rhythm to it and there was organization to it. And I'm grateful that I was free to make that journey and not inhibited in that journey. Anyway, I just like free thinking people. I like things that spur critical thinking. I don't like arguing with people. And I just don't think there's a I don't think there's a place for us to be vitriolic or venomous or redneck terms to be full of piss and vinegar. Not with each other. So we should be free to make the journey to discover something because often when somebody, you know, when we try to control somebody we stifle innovation and creativity, and often it's the people who have the freedom to think that find a better way to do something. And I know that that if, if I do something to foster that in people, that my life will be benefited from it. I mean, I don't that's not why I do it, but I, I just I am always fascinated by the way God made people. He made us all different, and he also gave us freedom of thought and, and freedom of to choose an abundant life in this world. And we are not somebody's slave. And it doesn't matter. You get to choose that. 
and and it doesn't matter your circumstances. So that is why I like to I like to throw this. I did this throughout my seminary tenure, and or not tenure. I guess tenure would be a teaching person, but the years that I went through seminary, I loved floating out questions that sort of challenged what everybody thought, and not because I necessarily believe that, but just they were valid alternative viewpoints and. I would watch the tempers flare and people get very dogmatic and want to argue till they're blue in the face. And it wasn't that they had insights to it. It's just that they wanted to be right. And they demanded that their position be the right position. And I'm like, how foolishly ignorant can you get? You know, I mean, talk about blinded by arrogance. I don't think, I hope I'm not that guy because I don't, whatever somebody's position is, I don't find it threatening to me. So I consider that a blessing in my own life. Anyway, that's a little bit of context for why I would just randomly toss this out there in anybody that's in theology or or a teacher in a seminary or something, they would say, this is so reckless. And you know what? I'm good with that because I want to have a childlike heart and I want to be willing to just throw out random uh, haphazard questions that may solicit critical thinking. And who knows, maybe somebody listening to this comes up with something that challenges my worldview and says, oh. I say to myself, you know, I was wrong about this. And that's actually, that has a pretty good founding, a pretty good footing underneath it. Like, I find that interesting. So anyway, it's just a freedom of thought that I believe that we were all created to have and that we should all fight to maintain. So, all right, with that, I will wrap it up. And that concludes this absolutely random off the cuff, off the rails episode of uh, the Men You Are Not Alone podcast. And I hope that the day is finding you doing well by choice. And I will catch you on the next one.